You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. The wonderful grace of Jesus reaches the most defiled by its transforming power, making me, you, God's dear child. We're going to talk about transformation. And the most transforming single event in history took place when Jesus died on the cross in Jerusalem and rose triumphant from the grave. Jesus gave hope to the world, even the most defiled. On the day before Jesus entered Jerusalem, he gave hope to a person who was probably the most defiled man in his town. He was an outcast, the least and last that his neighbors would have imagined would ever connect with Jesus. We will read about that transforming encounter in our text. But first consider this. For over 45 years, Mother Teresa ministered to the poorest of the poor, the sick, the orphaned, the dying. And she launched over 600 missions of charity in 123 countries around the world. And she received dozens of awards, including the Nobel Peace Prize, in 1979. Mother Teresa is remembered for telling her co-workers, We can do no great things, only small things, with great love. And Gallup polls showed that Mother Teresa was perhaps the most admired person in the 20th century. She died at age 87 in 1997, and her given name was Agnes. Now, for the sake of an engaging illustration, let's just imagine that we are sometime back in 1990, and Mother Teresa was planning to come to Seattle to investigate how the poor and homeless are treated here. Let's say that she was planning to live among the homeless and conduct some research for establishing a mission here in the Northwest. In this imaginary illustration, we are thrilled with the prospect of having her come to Seattle. We've read up on her life story, and we want to see her in person, face to face. So, you drive to the airport, and there are thousands of people who have gathered there to see her upon her arrival. And you happen to know what gate she's coming through, and you start to run, but the crowd is so huge you won't be able to see her until suddenly you see some stairs going up to an open mezzanine above the exit from which she will come and you run up the stairs and you're hanging over the the railing hoping to see her and suddenly you see Mother Teresa wearing her white and blue boarded sari and your first thought is she is short she is tiny and suddenly Mother Teresa turns up and looks and sees you hanging over the rail, and in her Albanian accent, she says, What's your name? And you're shocked. You don't know what to say. And then suddenly you have enough wherewithal to say your name. And then she says, You can call me Agnes. Hurry and come down, because today I want to stay in your house. Wow! You are shocked. So you run down the stairs, you make your way through, and Mother Teresa gives you a big hug and she says, I can't wait to have dinner at your place. 
double wow. What have I got in my refrigerator? What am I going to cook? How is this going to work? Now, if that happened to you or to me, we would have an incredible story to tell. What would our neighbors think? Mother Teresa stayed at Ray's house. Would I become a celebrity? Would I get a t-shirt that says, Mother Teresa stayed at my house? I would have a story to tell. So would you. Now, for the sake of kind of deepening the plot and getting us into the biblical text for today, let's imagine some other possibilities. Not only what would your neighbors think, but what if Mother Teresa picked someone out of the crowd that happened to be the owner of the adult entertainment establishment in Lake City called Deja Vu? Or a known sex offender? Boy, how would those stories play out in the newspapers? Or what if she stayed with Bill Gates? Now, how would that story play in the newspapers? Aren't we known by the company we keep? Well, our text for today has all of those elements. It's about Jesus and where he stayed in Jericho on his way from Galilee to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover and to die on the cross. And in Jericho, there was a huge crowd to welcome him. Jericho was and still is like Palm Springs in Southern California. Because of Jericho's palm trees and springs and its warm climate, it's a destination. It is a beautiful oasis in the desert. And in the time of Jesus, King Herod had a vacation place there. And earlier, Mark Anthony bought the entire town to give to Cleopatra so she could go there whenever she wanted. It was the place to go and to stay. It was the Palm Springs of Palestine, and still is. This last year, I went to Israel with our reconciliation team with people like Alan Belton and Ann Thomas, and I stayed with a Palestinian family in Bethlehem for five days, and I got to know them personally. And one day I asked them, well, how did you meet? And they told me their story and the fact that after they were married, they went on their honeymoon to Jericho. And ever since, for years, whenever they would take their children on a vacation, they would go to Jericho. It's a great place to stay. Well, the first thing that comes to our minds when we hear the word Jericho is the song. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. And when we were there, we saw a 400-mile wall completely encircling Palestine, the West Bank. Well, that's another story. And also, when we visited Jericho, we saw a huge sign over a great excavation saying that Jericho is the oldest city in the world. It dates back over 9,000 years. And our text for today is about how Jesus enters this old town that makes a person new. In some ways, it's about us. We may relate to the townspeople in the crowd, or we may relate to the person who was out just looking to see who Jesus was and ended up having him stay in his home. Have you ever been shopping at a big department store, Nordstrom's or someplace like that, and you trying to find something, and a salesperson comes up and says, may I help you? And you say, oh, no, 
thanks, I'm just looking. Isn't that kind of an odd response? I'm just looking. I'm not going to buy anything. Well, this person was just looking to see who Jesus was. But I think he was more than just looking. I think he was looking for a transformational connection. He knows that Jesus transforms people. He hangs out with all kinds of people. Rich, poor, men, women, children, sick, the lame, the blind. And they're changed. They're transformed. They become new. They become healed. The lost and lonely find a new friend in Jesus. Well, I think this person knew that. He's done his homework. He knows that if he could find a spiritual connection with him, life will change. He's hoping for a transformational connection. How's he going to get it? In the chapters that follow our text, Jesus will do something that will give us all hope. He will go to the cross. He will die. And he will give us salvation. And Zacchaeus is looking for that kind of person. Let's read it together. Let's take our pew Bibles and turn to page 854, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And I'd like you to all read it in unison. Let's stand together and we'll read it. And after we read it, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you believe it, please say, thanks be to God. Let's read it together. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. And all who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. For Jesus to remind the crowd that Zacchaeus is the son of Abraham would have affirmed two things. First of all, a Jew like Abraham, Zac has a heritage, a history and a future that is in God's hands. And second, Abraham is remembered for responding to God's call in faith by trusting in God's faithfulness. 
In faith, Abraham leaves his home and goes to a new place to live. He takes the risk of leaving everything behind and becomes a new person with a blessing that will be a blessing to others. And the only hope he has to go on is his faith in God. Zacchaeus also had faith and hope. And he did what Abraham did. He acted in faith. He ran ahead of the crowd and looking for a blessing and the only hope he had. The story is full of surprises. There are as many surprises, twists and turns of these ten verses as any other in the Bible. First of all, the text says that Jesus and the disciples are passing through Jericho. That's a surprise. It's late in the day. And Jericho is their last place to eat and stay before their last 17 miles before they reach Jerusalem. It's the most dangerous part of their journey, the Jericho Road. Jesus told a parable about the Good Samaritan who helped someone who was beaten and left half dead on that same road. And it's all uphill. It's 1,000 feet below sea level at Jericho to 2,600 feet above sea level on the Mount of Olives. They'd better stop, spend the night, and get an early start. Whenever our family goes on a road trip, three questions are often asked. Are we there yet? When are we going to eat? Where are we going to stay? Jericho was a great place to stay and to eat. The Chamber of Commerce would have been upset if Jesus didn't stay, but he's passing through. The second surprise is that the crowd would not make way for the town's richest person to see Jesus. If Bill Gates was trying to make his way through a crowd, I think we would all make room for him and let him pass through. But that didn't happen for Zacchaeus. I'll explain why in a moment. Another surprise that Zacchaeus is described as being short. He's vertically challenged. He's the only man in the Bible who's described as being short. He couldn't see over the crowd. But that's not the only reason he couldn't see Jesus. And he runs. That was a cultural taboo, especially a wealthy man running. And the man climbs a tree. That's a surprise. And Jesus stops and calls the man in the tree by name, kind of making eye contact, saying, I know you and where you live. And then Jesus invites himself to his house for dinner. How often do we do that? And the crowd, they complain. They grumble because he's going to have dinner at his house and not theirs. And apparently after the dinner, this short man takes a stand, literally and figuratively, in character, he grows taller. The story has a happy ending. It's the start of a new life for him. The rich tax collector is transformed. He gives half of all he owns to the poor. Imagine, do the math, half to the poor. And then he says later, and I will give to whom any I have defrauded four times as much. And if he took only 10% above what he shouldn't, that's quite a lot. And then Zacchaeus calls him Lord. And Jesus calls him son of Abraham. And Jesus declares that he has come to seek and save the lost. But that's no surprise. 
In chapter 18 of Luke, just prior to this chapter, there are three stories about three different people. One's a tax collector, another is a rich man, and another is a blind man who can't see Jesus. And Zacchaeus is all three. He's rich, he's a tax collector, and he can't see Jesus. Not because he's blind, but because he's short. And the crowd won't let him. Well, why? Well, Zacchaeus has three strikes against him. Number one, he is the chief tax collector. In the time of Christ, tax collectors in Palestine were considered traitors because they collected money to pay for the hated Roman soldiers who occupied the region. Zacchaeus supported the Roman occupation. He was a double-crosser, and no one liked him. Among his fellow Jews, Zacchaeus would be as hated as a Jewish general in Hitler's SS troops during World War II. He would be as respected as a mafia don in South Chicago. He has no friends. He would make his way through the crowd as easily as Osama bin Laden could make his way through the Pentagon. It ain't going to happen. Zach has a target on his back. He is the chief tax collector. And if he moves through the crowd, he takes his life into his hands. He will get pushed. He will get tripped. He will get spit upon and possibly stabbed. And those who did it would just disappear into the crowd. He's not a popular person. If Zacchaeus wants to play golf in Palm Springs, he's going to have to play alone. He's not welcome. The second strike against him is that tax collectors were notorious for overcharging and pocketing the difference. That's how he got rich. Zach is a thief. The more he steals, the richer he gets. He gives less to the Romans who blame the people for not paying all their taxes. And he takes more from the people who get angry at the Romans for demanding higher taxes. He is a rich middleman, but he's caught in the middle. Today his name would be Bernie Madoff. Zacchaeus is guilty of fraud and extortion, which makes him rich and famous and alone. In the time of Jesus, tax collectors could not even go to worship. They were outcasts. The third strike against him is that money has become his purpose in life. He's rich. His wealth has become his chief purpose as the chief tax collector. And in chapter 18, just prior to this passage, Jesus taught that if money becomes a purpose, ultimate person, a purpose for living, for that person, it would be easier to pass through the eye of a needle, of a camel to pass through the eye of a needle, than it would be for him to enter the kingdom of God. The crowd was pleased to hear that. But they didn't understand the very next thing Jesus said. He went on to say, but with God, all things are possible. By the way, the Greek text suggests that Zacchaeus may not have been his given name. The text reads, and behold, guess what? There was a man being called by the name Zacchaeus. 
The Greek simply doesn't say there was a man named Zacchaeus. It says there was a man being called a name, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus literally means innocent. I think he got a name that ended up being a slur, a put-down, a slander. And he forgot what his real name was. It would be like saying, did you hear about the guy who was a racehorse jockey who now is being called by the name of Slow? (laughs) Or did you hear about the man who made his living by cheating and Ponzi schemes and, and is now called by the name Mr. Nice Guy? He's not innocent. But that's what they call him. So apart from some risky move, he's not going to see Jesus. He can't get through the crowd to see Jesus. They won't let him. It's too risky. And he can't see over Jesus because he's short. So he runs ahead of the crowd. Running for him is awkward at best. It's unbecoming. It's a cultural taboo. He looks like a fool, especially for a rich man. You don't run unless you're a crook. He climbs a tree which is also awkward, unbecoming, and simply strange, Zacchaeus is literally and figuratively going out on a limb to see who Jesus was, his only hope. And Jesus is just passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. And the disciples are wondering, hey, are we there yet? Where are we going to eat? Where are we going to stay? It helps to have reservations. But my son David and I, wanted to take Liz out for dinner to celebrate her birthday this last year, we asked some of her friends where we thought she would love to go. And they recommended a restaurant down on 2nd Avenue that I'd never heard of before. So I looked it up on the Internet, and I read that it was a great restaurant. Wonderful reviews. So on our way into the restaurant, I was quietly hoping that I could see some evidence that this was really a good place to eat. And as I, we sat down, I turned, and I saw not more than 10 feet away something that gave me a lot of confidence. It was a man with his family. It was Chris Canlis and his family. <laughs> I said, Liz, we are in for a treat today. Over there is Chris Canlis. If he takes his family out to eat here, it's got to be good. And Liz looked over, she sighed with a great sigh of relief. And then I waved to Chris, he waved back to me. He came over and he talked with us and I told him it was Liz's birthday and Chris wished her a happy birthday. And then Chris said before he went back to eat with his family, right? I promise you I won't try to serve you a meal tonight if you don't try to serve me a sermon. <laughs> it was a great place to eat. If you want to know, I'll tell you after the service. Back to our text. Where will Jesus and the disciples eat? Where are they going to stay? There's no list of restaurants, no internet. But Jesus has a divine appointment in mind. He knows. He has confidence. He knows where he's going. They've entered Jericho, the Palm Springs of Palestine. There are plenty of nice homes, and there are plenty of people in the crowd. But Jesus stops, looks up in a tree, and calls the most notorious sinner in town by name, saying, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And for the first time, I think in a long time, Zach starts to feel good. He was happy, and he welcomed the only invitation he ever had to go out to his house.
In the crowd, they grumbled. He's going to stay in the house of one who is a sinner. And maybe that's the most amazing surprise of all. Every house in Jericho is a sinner's house. They forgot. The wonderful grace of Jesus reaches the most defiled by his transforming power, making even Zacchaeus his dear child. I think he knew this story because way back in Luke chapter 5, three years prior, Jesus called a tax collector to be with him as a beloved disciple, one of the twelve. His name was Levi. But after following Jesus, he was called by a new name, Matthew. Matthew means gift of God. And Matthew wrote the gospel that bears his name. Just after he became one of the twelve disciples, Luke records that this phrase, The Pharisees and the scribes were complaining, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And from that moment on, many called Jesus by a new nickname, as did the Apostle Paul, our beloved physician. I think that Zacchaeus knew the story about Jesus, that he welcomed hated tax collectors, and that they could be given a new name, new life, and new hope. And Paul writes, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. And then there are fruits of the Spirit that show that the transformation has taken place. And for Zac, the first was his generosity. He gave half of everything he had to the poor. And then it was his repentance. He wanted to see justice be served, so he made restitution for those whom he had hurt fourfold. And finally, Jesus has the last word. I have come to seek and save the lost. The lost are found. Well, that's the definition of transformation. Jesus knew what the tax collector was being called. He knows what we are being called. Sometimes we're, we're called sad, lonely, broken, guilty, lost, hurt. Jesus knows our struggles, what we're looking for. He's trying to get our attention. Obviously, Jesus is more famous and powerful than Mother Teresa. And unlike her, he doesn't have to ask our name. He knows our needs. He knows our pain. He knows our hearts. And yet Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And after the dinner, they saw this rich man who had gone out on a limb go through a needle's eye. The call, the confession, the compassion, the commitment made the impossible possible. Here's a little sidebar. Back in 1956, a young nine-year-old boy named Jimmy read in his new set of encyclopedias that his state was the only state without a state motto. And whenever Jimmy had difficulty completing a chore or homework, his mother would always say, You can do it, Jimmy. With God, all things are possible. Well, Jimmy 
got his mother to take him to Columbus, Columbus, Ohio, the state capital, and he registered as a lobbyist at nine years old. And he campaigned over the next three years to, for a state motto. His dream became a reality. It was enacted by both houses of the Ohio legislature in 1959. Their state motto was then and now, with God, all things are possible. Imagine that. Our state motto, Alki, by and by. (laughs) God is thrilled to see us go out on a limb, to claim a blessing, to take a risk, even if it means doing something strange or challenging, to start the adventure. Like Abraham, like Zacchaeus, he wants us to exercise our faith by taking that first step of faith and hope, by looking. In 1969, when I was 23 years old, I read this little paperback book. On the back it says, 60 cents, prizes have changed. And on the back it says, this is a positive guide to wholeness, maturity, and integrity. It makes clear that there are many daily turning points in the life of every Christian. This book can show you how life can be changed now. For anyone who knows the power and love of God through Christ. When I read this little book, I was transformed. In Fresno, California, I went to my pastor and his wife, Dr. Homer and Isabel Goddard. And I said, do you know the author of this book? And Homer and Isabel said, know him. We love him. His name is Bruce Larson. And I said, I'd love to meet the guy someday. And Isabel also has a motto. Her motto is, think big, hang loose, and obey God. And Isabel said, you would like to meet him? I said, yes, someday I'd love to meet him. He said, you could. I said, how? Bruce is giving some lectures at Princeton Seminary next week. If we get in the car and start driving, we could make it. And I said, Isabel, that's all the way across the country. He said, she said, we can do it. And then I said, I don't know, Isabel. And she said, Ray, what's the title of the book? Dare to Live Now. <laughs> so we got on the phone and we make some phone calls. We make some reservations and we get in my red Volkswagen van and we drive across the country from Fresno to Princeton to see Bruce. And we heard his lectures. And on Friday, at the end of the lectures, Isabel introduced me on the steps of the Princeton Seminary to Bruce Larson. He heard our story. And then I said, Bruce, someday I'd love to work with you. And Bruce said, someday you will. And ten years later, on May 18, 1980, when Mount St. Helens blew up, he gave his candidating sermon right here. And three weeks after that, Bruce invited me up into his office and said, Ray, you remember that conversation we had back in Princeton? I said, I remember it. How could you? And he said, Ray, this is your someday. Someday. And what's the first sentence in Bruce's book? Life is meant to be an adventure. We had quite a run. Are you ready to go out on a limb? Do you want to take on the impossible? It's never too late.
there's hope. If that can change, we can too. We are meant to have life-changing conversations, not just once in a while, but every day we're in worship. One of the worst things we can do is keep putting things off till some day arrives, or to pretend we are innocents. Jesus sees you. He sees me. He has his eye on you. You are the apple of his eye. That's a biblical term. If you go out on a limb to see him, anything's possible. If it hasn't been done before, he invites you to take action now, today, to come out from hiding. If it isn't today or now, he's going to stay in your house, in your heart. He wants to make the difference. He wants us to know that in Christ we are never alone. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can see you and that you see us and that you know our name, that you call us, that you call us to come out from hiding and take a stand to grow and to be transformed. Thank you for all the possibilities and all God's people said, amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.